the way we can do and get to learn that well. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Steve, do you have words about come, be thankful? Come, ye thankful people, come is often used at Thanksgiving time. The actual scriptural reference is to Matthew 3.39, which refers to the end of the age. Jesus told a parable about weeds in the field. He explained that the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. The second verse makes this a little plainer as it refers to the world as God's own field, wheat and tares together sown, and Lord of harvest, grant that we wholesome grain and pure may be. The hymn is still appropriate for Thanksgiving, as we can certainly be thankful God considers us to be good grain instead of wheat. still stumble once in a while and we all need to confess to God. Please join me this morning in our prayer confession. Almighty God, you have provided us with tremendous material blessings, but we admit we are so busy using them that we don't take the time to return thanks to you for the freedoms we have to live the way we choose, to worship you unhampered and pursue our personal dreams we confess that sometimes we take them for granted. Lord, in this moment of clarity, we want to thank you for these and all the other blessings bestowed on us. In particular, we thank you for washing us clean from our sin and giving us salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. 
Psalms 103 verses 11 through 13 gives us our assurance of forgiveness this morning. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. The guidelines for living this morning also comes from Psalms 103 verses 1 through 5. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. <clears throat> Let's continue our worship as we sing Amazing Love. Let's stand together if you can. Now you can remain seated.
Steve, you share with us about the background between there shall be showers of blessing. Showers of blessing is based on Ezekiel 34 to 26. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God is speaking about Israel. In previous verses, he says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid their land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. He goes on to say in verses 26 and 27, I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit, and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for those showers of blessings that we receive every day from your hand for health, for homes, for cars for people around us, for family and loved ones, Lord, and especially this holiday. We just give you so much thanks for this great country that we live in and our freedoms. Lord, we continue to pray that you'll bless this country and bless us. And Lord, receive these gifts and tithes as these people give for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. i 
that were read by Governor Bradford from Psalm 100 as they sailed into Plymouth Colony. And one of the things they did when they landed, they prayed and then they recited the psalm. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth is for all generations. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, today we come to you with grateful hearts. This is a wonderful season that we all love to get together with family, but especially to give gratitude to your name. And I ask you, Father God, that you will open our hearts up and the family around us and everyone that we share this with, Lord, that'll be a great time of just giving praise to you and thanksgiving for each other and for life for the wonderful, bountiful things that we have in America that other nations have even close to. We pray especially, Father God, too, for our country and that they will understand the fervor of the desire of these pilgrims to come for freedom, freedom to worship you and the freedom to enjoy life and to speak on your behalf. We pray also, too, Lord, for our president and for the Congress and for the judicial branches. Lord, that they will continue to work, but Lord, that they will diligently work to your will and not to their own. We pray especially, too, for those who surround us and keep us safe on our streets and overseas that keep our democracy still free. We pray especially for those who are dealing with some sensitive stuff. And that, Lord, there's so much going on right now. We just lift that all before you. And today we pray for our congregation, too, as we move forward now, Lord, in um, 
the process of leaving our denomination and going to another one. We just pray, Lord God, that you'll continue to bless us, that we'll walk in your ways, and that we can do the desired things that we so much want to do, which is to be more obedient to your will. And that, Lord, we can send a message to those who are trying to fudge and, and change that. We pray also, too, for our people in our church. I think of Bill Bannister, and I think of Evelyn, and I think of Karen, and I think of Kay, who had to go to the hospital last week, and also uh, Lucille and Joyce, all those that are shut in because of the pain and suffering that they have in their bodies as they age and as uh, life changes them. Pray also, too, for those who are struggling. I think of a friend, Angie, who just found out she's got cancer in her eyes and in her lungs. And for what that means to her and her husband, be with her and Todd as they go through that. I pray also for our brother, Don Gross, who had knee surgery and a replacement. Just bring healing to him and take down the swelling and, and restore him. I pray also, too, for Marie and for... Um, Officer Gum's family as they make the challenges now before them of living without their dad and husband. I just pray that you'll help them in their grief. I pray for also for little Samantha Mama and for her cancer in her brain, Lord, that you'll bring healing. I pray also too for uh, Mark um, also who was going through brain cancer therapy right now in his head, uh, Mark Dops. I pray also, too, Lord, for Sarah, and also, Lord, I pray um, for Howard and, and continuing to find a house that he can live in and that they can sell their home. Just, Lord, provide for them this week a wonderful blessing. And, Father, we pray for those who are addicted and going through difficulties in their lives, for Ryan, for Jordan, for David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch. Lord, these guys are struggling. We pray, Lord, that you, they will find hope in you and release in you and release from their addiction. I pray also, too, for a son who's dying and that's going through some difficult times right now. I pray also, too, about a marriage and that's involved with children and all that. I just pray, Lord, that you can heal that marriage and that re renewal can come. I pray for many marriages that I know that are struggling right now. And having difficulties, Lord, I pray this holiday season may be a new chance, a new way in which they can see it. And now, Father, I just pray for our message today as we come to you for a word, a word about life, a word for health when we're in this difficult time. Christ, just uh, be with us now as we hear from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's interesting what people think about Thanksgiving. You get the guy on the street with the microphone and you find out some things that are really interesting. How thankful they are for having food and clothing, which is great, but never mentioning God or even talk about the pilgrims. Some don't. But today we're here. One of the reasons we're here is because of 400 years ago, a group of people left Holland and came over here to settle in Mayf uh, with, on the Mayflower to Plymouth Colony up in Massachusetts. And they came for several reasons. They had left really England earlier because England was persecuting them for their faith. And they were standing against the church of Eng England at the time because the church of England, they said they had forgotten the true God. 
And so what they did, they were separatists, they were called. They were called pilgrims, but they were also called English separatists. They wound up going over to Holland to find religious freedom, but as people who were not welcome, they were not allowed to do any skilled jobs, but they were only allowed to do manual labor. And they realized that this was not God's will for them. They were Calvinists. They were Puritans, and they believed that God had a way for them and how he had given them gifts and abilities to be able to use them for God's glory. And so they packed up. John Robinson was the pastor at the time, and they left South Holland, and the Puritans came over to America to leave the persecution in England by Queen Elizabeth and then her son James, who also ordered the King James to be written, but yet was very not too happy about the separatists. And so they left, went to Holland, and then after Holland they came over to America and landed in Plymouth Colony. And one of the things that they discovered here is that there were Indians, the weather was tough, but they had a purpose inside of them. Their purpose was found in the Mayflower Compact. If you ever want to read it, it's very interesting because it's very short, but it's an evangelistic tool because they wanted to evangelize the Indians, and they also wanted to establish a government that was under God's rule and not man's. And they worked very diligently to do that. And so God gave them this ability, and sadly, we know that halfway, uh, half of the people that came on the Mayflower lost their lives and died, especially when they got here and there was a very severe winter that they had. Well. They took 90 people, 90 friends, Indians. And on Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving was three days long, and they celebrated and they played games, and they thanked God and had feasts with the Indians, 90 of them in fact, so that they can enjoy what God has blessed them with. And they wanted to set this new country ablaze. Well, we know that during the Civil War was when in 1863, which a couple hundred years later, that's when the true first Thanksgiving was made by our president, Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln put it together during the most bloodiest war on the land of this nation. But yet he wanted people, everybody to stop and give thanks. And that they realized that this is an important event in the nation's history. Now, today, we also know that these people who were Puritans wanted to establish a government, wanted to establish a society for God. And they wanted the word of God to be the most important thing in it, that they would follow it and that this nation would follow it. And so they began. Now, today we're looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And in those days, in Paul's day, they did not have the word of God that we have today. They depended on prophets and tongue speakers and apostles to deliver the message about the Bible. And it was not until later on when King James basically ordered the pulling together of the Bible and making of the canon. And the canon means rule, God's rule. And so therefore they pulled together the canon. But up until that point, there was very little known about the letters of Paul and whatnot. And here we have it now. The Bible speaks to us about itself. Paul speaks to us about the importance of the Word of God. And that these converted pagans didn't have any 
Bibles and that the Jews had the Old Testament. But so in the New Testament here, Paul is speaking especially about the gift of prophecy. And prophecy really is the speaking out about God. A lot of times we think about it as knowing the future. That's not really what the prophet means here. Is the one who speaks on the word of God. And this is what the people needed in that day. But the day that Paul was in, the Corinthians wanted to have the speaking in tongues. They're more exciting, more fun. And the apostle Paul says to him, no, I'd rather speak in a few words than have, be able to speak in the language of tongues that has no meaning to anybody except if an interpreter comes. Well, the Apostle Paul just finished chapter 13, which is love. If you remember, chapter 13, that chapter uh, 12 was on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But there was one thing lacking. The people were using their gifts, but they weren't for the love of the Lord. They were doing it for their own self-gratification. And Paul puts in this beautiful chapter on love to bring them back to reality that this is about love and about loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that the most important thing about this all is your edification, the church's edification, that everybody gets something from it. And so Paul begins in chapter 14 today. He says, pursue love, looking back to that chapter 13, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in the tongue does not speak to men, but to God. It's a personal thing. For no one understands, but his spirit, he speaks mysteries. The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. So here Paul speaks to us. And he says to us, here's the important thing about God's word. Is that what's supposed to take place is that edification. That means you and I being built up in the power of God. That you and I developing faith. Faith comes, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, by hearing and hearing the word of God. And one of the first parts about the understanding of this prophetic word is that it's supposed to build us up and make us stronger in God. Then it's also to exhort us how to live our lives. A lot of people don't know how to live their lives, especially in our generation today. And they need to know, and the way to do that is from the word of God. And then also it's a consolation. It consoles us when our hearts are deeply in struggle and going through deep difficulties. But the Bible here is telling us why the word of God was given. And it's so important not to neglect it. And Paul here speaks out very boldly and says these edification, exhortation, and consolation. Now you know as well as I do, there are people, even in the church, who say that they know God. But when you listen to them and they talk about God, you sit there and go, that's not the God of the Bible. That's a different God that they're holding to. And they oftentimes imagine things in their mind. And you could even watch some TV programs where there are preachers on there. And what they will speak about and what the Bible says are two contrary different things. And Paul wants the people to understand. Yes, you can do tongues and it feels good. But what we all need is we need this edification. We need this consolation. We need this exhortation from the Bible. Otherwise, we're clueless about who God is. And there are people who say things about God and put them in the mouth that we just can't believe. And that he is important is, and this is the thing, is doctrinal teaching is so critical. One of the sad parts I believe in the church today 
is that a lot of people who go to church go for the excitement of it, the thrill. Some people even go to church and they say, man, wasn't the band great today? Well, yeah, but what did you learn? Why is it then we find Christians that are very shallow in their understanding of the scriptures? Because they haven't been taught. They don't know the clarity that the scripture says about God and who he is. And it's so easy to make things up about God that are not true. And what we find here in genuine Christianity is not anti-intellectual. That you get this idea to, by some people that you have to have faith. You can't think intellectually. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says to use your brain, that your mind is very important, that you were to bring in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, bring your mind under captivity to the will of God. Paul says it again in Romans chapter 12, he says, it's the renewing of your mind, not your emotions, but it's your mind that necessary. And oftentimes you will find people love to sway. Let me tell you something. At the temple in Calcutta, Cali, people sway at the temple and they get the emotion and they get the movement and they get all this euphoria and it's all emotion and they have not learned anything about their God. Well, that's not the Christian way. The Bible says that our minds are very important. They need to be edified and they need to be informed about faith. How do you know about giving your life in faith unless you know something about the faith? Our minds are very important to the scriptures that we say. And here Paul wants them to understand that that's why the prophetic word is so important to them. and needs to be because they're learning about God from the Holy Spirit. And that they're also learning that it's a truth that is applied to their minds. And what that truth does is it sanctifies. It sets apart our minds from the thinking of the world. We begin to develop a different worldview because of our thinking. And that otherwise with all the noise and all the movement and everything, it's making you feel good. But we don't understand what we're feeling about. That's why Paul says in verse 28 how important it is for people to interpret the tongue. And you see, Paul says, not, he says, since you've been zealous for the gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. It's understanding of the word of God. It's knowing the word of God. Because look what he says. He says, what is the outcome then, brother? When you assemble, each one of you has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, has a tongue, and has an interpretation. Let all things be done for the edification. And people are doing it because they're feeling good about themselves. And what he's wanting us to do is he wants us to understand the word. And then apply it to our own. You see, this was the beauty of myself. I, I remember coming to know Christ. And growing up in a family where scripture was just always on us. But what amazing thing it did to me once I understood it. And then also started applying it to my life. It saved me from all kinds of things in college and in high school. Because the word was built in there. It's the groundwork. And it edified me. See, this is what the Puritans wanted. They wanted a society that had... The, the, the word of God is its center. 
And that they could work together and they could live together as God called them to. To love their brothers as they loved themselves because they loved God and he was setting the agenda. And whenever we find ourselves setting the agenda and people setting the agenda and there's confusion. We see that in marriage today. When people forget what God called marriage to be. As a husband and a wife to love one another in Christ. And when that takes place, good things take place in that marriage. But when they neglect that, there are all kinds of things that can enter into that marriage. And Paul speaks then and says there three different things. He says, number one, he says, music is a wonderful thing. He says, but if you don't have any words with it, how do you know what it's saying to you? He says, a bugler can blow a bugle. But if he doesn't do the right song, you could be charging when you're supposed to be retreating and retreating and charging. And so therefore, it's an unintelligible event, but we have things to make it intelligible. And then he goes on to use another illustration about talking with one another. If you talk gibberish or if you talk to each other and you don't make sense to each other, there's not going to be. What happens in marriage? Many people get confused. Why? Because they don't understand each other. They're not listening to each other and they mix it up. And the word of God here is using an example for us so that we understand that it's got to be intelligible. And we got to take it in and chew on it and let it edify us. Bring conviction to our hearts by understanding it and then apply it. One of the tragedies in the church. You heard it. Some of you were here last Sunday night. Very tragic. That our church and our denomination makes these proclamations what the Bible says, but doesn't follow through and does nothing about it. And so here we have this problem. And we in our own lives can do this too. Oh, we can hear it. And it could edify us. It could. But we need to have the Holy Spirit to change our hearts and to understand it. And then not only understand it, but then apply it to our lives. Otherwise, it's just a spiritual excitement. And it does nothing to change us. It's just an emotional experience. And I want to encourage you. Today, take home your Bible. Take it off the shelf and, and, and look at it. Look at the Ten Commandments. Take one a day. What is God saying that I need to change in my life about this commandment? Take the Bible and open it up to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mountain. Take each lesson that Jesus gives even begin with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor for they... What is he meaning there? What do I need to do to change my heart to what he wants? You see, that's the edification that builds us stronger in a society that's so out of control. And it's very easy to get caught up in the out of control yourself and lose sight of it. I know there are times that I could have been very angry this past week. Last Sunday night, I was fighting my own anger. And I didn't want to make a fool of myself nor of the Lord. That Sunday morning, I just preached on God's love. And I thought that would not be a good thing to talk about God's love and then blow up and lose your temper. I just shut my mouth. You see, the word of God here speaks to us and says, let it grow you and change you. And this is what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. Let the prophetic word enter your heart and change you. Then he says to them, think maturely. Brethren, do not be like children in your thinking. Yet in evil be infants, 
but in the thinking, be mature. He's saying, when it consider evil, think like little children that you don't even recognize it. But when it becomes to spiritual matters in God, you be mature. And then he says, in the law it is written, and he speaks here, and talking to the Corinthians about what tongues are for. One of the points he's making is that tongues is a sign of danger. It's been a sign all throughout scriptures of danger and judgment by God. He says, in the law it is written by men of strange tongues and by lips of strangers I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And so then tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but for unbelievers. And prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. And what Paul is referring to is something that he quotes out of Isaiah chapter 28, where God makes a proclamation to them. And he says to them that I am going to bring judgment through a group of people that you don't even know their language. Out of Isaiah 28. And first he says that these foreigners are going to come to the northern kingdom. If you remember, the kingdom was divided after Solomon. And his son Rehoboam had the south side of Judah. And the north side was uh, Jeroboam took it who was a, 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 not even a, a, a person in the family. And out of that northern kingdom, there never was one king who was righteous. Not one. And God brought judgment on it from the Assyrians. And he said, Assyria is going to come down. These people with languages you don't understand. And they're going to wipe you out because you've been disobedient to the Lord. And he did that. But then, he says in Isaiah, he also says the southern kingdom is going to pay a price. Because you too have been disobedient. But you've had kings who've tried to help you and understand this. And prophets who tried to help you. And you still rebelled. He said, and God even spoke to you through the prophets very plainly, very intelligibly. He said, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Line by line, he showed you exactly what you need to do. But you simply just blew them off. And not too long after the northern kingdom fell, the southern kingdom went down also. And guess what? A nation that had come with a foreign tongue came and wiped them out, the Babylonians. Then Jeremiah prophesies a similar thing, a nation whose language will not know will do away with Israel's. And sure enough, in the book of Acts, we see that. Peter preaching at Pentecost. And all of a sudden, fire comes above the heads of the apostles. And they start speaking in different tongues, in different languages. Because the area was all filled with different kinds of people. And they prophesy and they preach the gospel. And they do it with other tongues that people are listening and hearing them speak. And then in 70 A.D. after that, the temple was overrun. Titus came in and just killed it. He destroyed and de desecrated the temple. 
All this was the judgment that God had brought out through the tongues. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter says the implication. Let the house of Israel therefore be certain that God has made both Lord Christ and that Jesus and him crucified. He said, see it? You got to see this and they were not seeing it. Well, the Bible then speaks. When the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble each one as a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, as a tongue, as an interpretation, let all things be done to edify. He's pleading with these Corinthians. Please make it intelligible, uplifting, building on each other. Don't do it just because you want to do it or because it's fun for you to do. He said, let it be done to edify. And that's the goal that we have in this church. We want to edify you so that you're prepared as you go out into the world. That you know what God has to say. And that we help you as you go every day into the word. And you listen to it. And that you hear what the Bible has to say. Because otherwise, if we do in confusion, then God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. He's a God of his word and clarity. I remember when we were in New Jersey, there was a gal that came to know Christ. Her father was a mob doctor. And they had this huge dining room table. It was about 30 foot long. And their dining room was huge. And it fit this huge table in it. And when they had family things, they'd invite us over and you could not hear yourself think. That's how loud it got. And Paul was saying here, this is what's going on in your worship service and nobody's getting edified. So you need to change that. And that the message of the Bible here is saying that things need to be brought under control so that people can understand what God wants from them. And that the Holy Spirit then, who is the spirit of order, will come into your heart and begin to bring change inside your soul. But that begins with self-control. And a heart that's open and wants to listen to God. And then that we understand today, we don't need prophecy. We have all that we need as it concerns the salvation. In fact, Paul says it in Ephesians. He said, we don't need prophets. He says, Fellow citizens of God's people and members of his household, build the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. We have been given in the Bible in the New Testament the understanding of this great cornerstone and that whom we're to live by and to walk with. And that we need to also speak about the Bible in biblical terms in our own lives. Last Sunday, we were here Sunday night. It's an issue that's not another, it's another issue, but the real issue is the Bible. Do people really believe the Bible is the word of God? Or is it something that we can change as society changes? I heard one person say at a meeting for the church, yeah, the Bible needs to be upgraded. Upgraded? It doesn't need to be upgraded. It's all that we need in salvation. 
and that the Bible is the Word of God. And we don't change it to fit society's needs. But what's, it's infallible, we believe. It's inerrant. The prophets spoke it, the apostles shared it, and they wrote it down. And then in the end of the Bible, in Revelations 22, John writes these powerful words that the Bible is not to be changed. He receives this from the Lord and he says, the Bible, whoever adds to it, which is happening, and anyone who takes away from what the Bible says, it will be done unto them in judgment. And it will be taken away from them. This past week, I was with a rabbi. And we discussed the issue about homosexuality. And I gave him the Leviticus quote. He's, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have that right. He says, that scripture is about idolatry that Israel is following and not about homosexuality. And I said, no, it is. It is. Yes, the homosexuality is in the idolatry. But the idolatry is only part of it. Because it's very plain. It says it's an abomination. And what does it say about it? It's not only the idolatry is a sin, but the act of the homosexual is wrong too. Because a man is not to lay with another man as he would with a woman. That's what it says in there. Are we kidding ourselves? This is what the Word of God says. And you see here is where we need to stand. There are times that we lose sight of this. You see, that's why it's so important that you and I, whenever we hear a preacher, even when you listen to me, take your Bible home. And take your Bible and just sit there and say, is Dave saying what really is what God's will is here? Or, or is he missing it? Because I've made mistakes before. I'm only human. But you see, the Bible is God's concrete word. And we need to be what the New Testament had, which was Berean Christians. A Berean Christian is someone who took the word and evaluated. And that we made the word the center of our life. And then we pray, and we need to pray for courage. That we will take the stand. And that we will stand for the view for which God's word has to say. This past week, I got called from a friend who took the stand and shared what he believed the Bible has to say on that issue. He was taken to task by this person. And he called me and said, am I right, Dave? Am I missing something? I said, no, you're right. They don't want to hear what you have to say. And keep being courageous to share your view of what Scripture has to say. Do it. Don't be afraid of it. Stand. And then finally, Paul comes to the end. He said, this is the kind of mature thinking we need to have. Because the world is losing its way. And so thirdly, he says, do everything needs to be done properly and in order. God is not a God of confusion, but he's a God of orderliness. And friends, there are things that happen in our world in the name of the church of Jesus Christ. There's a group down in Florida called the Toronto Blessing. And in the Toronto Blessing, 
People go to a service, but the minister basically says and contradicts what Paul says in the scriptures today. He says he cautions people about using their minds and holding on to doctrine. But just experience God in your heart. And then the laughing begins and it's, they call it heavenly laughter or holy laughter. And a thousand to two thousand people just laugh. And it gets out of control. This is not the God that we serve. That's a God of confusion, and our God is not a God of confusion. Our God wants us to use our minds. He doesn't want us to turn it off. He doesn't want us to shut down the doctrines of the scriptures so that we can experience something. That's wrong. The Bible here gives us the reason why. And this is why it's so important for us to understand it in an intelligible language. You know, it's interesting. There's some people who will say to me, well, yeah, I, I speak in the tongue of heaven and I have this ecstatic experience with God. Well, that's your experience. That's fine. But what I know from the Bible is Jesus, when he spoke to his father, when he spent the night in prayer with his father, look at it in John chapter 17. When he gives his high priestly prayer, he doesn't speak in gibberish. He speaks in clear words to the Father, in regular language to his Father. And this is we're having a divine union of prayer with Jesus with the Father. And he's not using any kind of special language. He's using regular language, intelligible language, as he speaks to the Father. And that we know when Jesus taught prayer, what did he do on the Sermon on the Mount? He taught us the Lord's Prayer. And what is the Lord's Prayer? It's simple, clear words that we come to him and share in the different areas of our life that we need, our needs and also our desires. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And it's clear, it's intelligent, and it's simple. That's what Jesus taught us. And so Paul then comes to a very struggling point here. And this is a tough one. Because I know I've battled in seminary with this with some young people. Some women who are angry about this passage. And some say that Paul, like in chapter 11 we talked about, that he's a male chauvinist pig, and that's not true. He's sharing the tools of the Lord here. And look what he says. He says, the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, if we understand this text, and a lot of people, do you believe that women can be pastors? Well, according to the scriptures, I believe women are very capable and they're gifted. But can they lead a church? This is the problem. 
And Paul very clearly makes it very understandable, and especially in this passage. But you see, in chapter 11, which is interesting, Paul speaks about women testifying. He speaks about women prophecy. He speaks about women praying. But what he's talking about here is that there are a group of women who really wanted to take control. And they were disruptive in the sanctuary. And Paul is saying women can't speak. But what he's saying here is they're to keep silent, especially this group. And they should go home and ask their husbands, and this puts a load on us, fellas, that we are to know the word of God and be able to give answers to it. And that that kind of respect and men have been given this responsibility to be able to share with their wives and their children and are to be the high priests of their home. Paul shares that with us. And that women participate in the service. My wife, she has come up here or she can, uh, other times and she has shared her testimony, but she's not to preach. And that also she teaches a Sunday school class, which is wonderful. And she wants children to know the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. But what Paul is talking about, the order and the authority which God gives in the church. And that these women especially were causing a whole bunch of ruckus. And it doesn't say anything that women can't do it, their abilities, their talents. But according to the authority and the way God has ordered it, men are to be in charge at the church. And distributing the word of God. And it's their responsibility. And then he goes on to say. But all things. And this is his point. To be done properly. And in an orderly way. Not in confusion. And that's to embody. The orthodox faith. That's been handed down to us. From the prophets. And from the apostles. And that we are to hold on to them. That's why we have, this is called the creedal church. Why? Because we, there's certain things in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed that were contained to hold us to because they knew how sinful man can get and prophesy outside of those boundaries. And you see it every day. You could turn on the TV set and listen to some of these preachers and they will say things contrary to the word of God. And contrary to those creeds. And that's why we need them and needed them in that day, especially when they couldn't read. But they could memorize those creeds and hold them to the truth. So today the word of God speaks to us. Paul wants us to understand that the word of God and where it's come from. That it's prophetic. It came to us that way and through the apostles. But now we have it in the word. And that's what holds us together. We need to be edified. We need to understand it. But then we also need to apply it. And then what we are also to do is then live by it every day. Not like the person that said to me, oh, we need to upgrade the Bible. We don't upgrade the Bible. It's eternal. It does not change. Because you will find that there are people in our world who claim to be Christians. But when you listen to them speak. Now I've seen a lot of people say God 
Thus saith the Lord. I had a man, in fact, this happened to me three times in my ministry here. Three times. One man said, well, Dave, it's not like that. I said, you're committing adultery with your wife's best friend. Dave, it's not like that. God led me to her. Who? What? I said to him, friend, God does not say anything contrary to what his word says. He said, thou shalt not commit adultery. He's not going to lead you to a woman that you're going to commit adultery with and mess up your family and your children because you have a desire of lust in your heart. That's adultery. That's what the Bible says. No, 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 you don't understand. It's not like, yes, it is like that. You just don't want to recognize that. And the guy said to me, well, I'm kind of confused. I love my wife but, and my kids, but I love this other woman. I got, had come into my life and God, no, God didn't do that. See, they will kid themselves. You, brother and sister, if you're in a situation like that, straight in their heads out. Get their minds right and let them know that God never will give or say anything contrary to his word. That just don't happen. I can remember a little girl. She finally came to Christ just before she died of AIDS. A few weeks before she died of AIDS, she came to Christ. But I remember when I first met her and we started getting, and I was talking to her about the word, and she said, Pastor Dave, the other night I was so sick. One of my friends gave me heroin, and I knew it would make me feel better. And she said, I, I couldn't get a vein. And I just yelled out, Jesus, help me to find a vein so I can get this in my... Jesus doesn't want to help you with that. He wants to clean you up. Get rid of the heroin. And it took her three years before she finally came to understand that. And that Jesus loved her and wants to forgive her and give her eternal life. But he's not going to help her get her heroin into her arm. He loves you too much for that, Phyllis. She needed to hear that. Friends, we have people need to hear us. They need to hear your way, your view of what scripture says. Please be there for them, prepared, ready to say it in the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for Paul helping us see the importance of the word. We thank you for the Puritans who came here, wanting what is right, wanting to follow your ways and setting part of the foundation of this great nation. And help us, Lord, to continue to stand on the foundation, Jesus Christ, who has presented us through the prophets and the apostles. And help us to stand that way every day and apply this word to our lives as we seek to understand you and your ways. Thank you, Lord, for this congregation. And bless them this week as they go and do that and share with their families and friends how thankful they are to you for all you've given. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's at this time stand together and sing, count your blessings. Now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. Count your